Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast that tells stories about the body of Christ. Once a month, I share a story about people living as disciples of Jesus. Other weeks, I share brief lessons from the Bible. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching Sunday school classes for teenagers on up to 90-somethings. My day job is working in communications ministry for the United Methodist Church in what is known as the Great Plains Conference, meaning the approximately 1,000 churches of Kansas and Nebraska. My goal is to introduce concepts about Jesus Christ to people who either haven't read the Bible before, who have a difficult time understanding the Bible, or who just want a refresher. As the name of the podcast suggests, my message comes to you in layman's terms. I'm not ordained clergy, but I study the Bible regularly, and I'm excited to share stories and concepts with you about God's love for you and for all people. This is one of our story episodes. Today I'm joined by Gary Robbins. Gary is a Countryside United Methodist Church member for 40 plus years, right? Correct. Uh, he's served on the Board of Ordained Ministry with our conference and a lot of other roles uh, over the years, both in the Great Plains and then Kansas East uh, before that. He's led Bible study for more than 20 years. Uh, but uh, we're here to talk to him today because of a book that he wrote in 2019 called The Madison Effect. Uh, it's not some science fiction thing. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a very real uh, spiritual um, church-related type of book that I think is really going to be helpful for people if they take the time to read it. It's a book about how lay disciples are in partnership with clergy and laity to create, sustain, and build a culture of call within a congregation. And it's told through the lens of Madison United Methodist Church in Little Madison, Kansas. If you don't know where Madison is, it's about 22 miles straight south of Emporia. It is a town of about 700 people. And in that town of about 700 people in this little church, 16 people have gone into pastoral ministry. Uh, They even hang their pictures on the wall. Gary, thank you very much for joining me today on In Layman's Terms. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I've served on a number of of, uh, uh, boards over the years, and I kept hearing clergy and district superintendents talking about this little church. and how they celebrated all the people that they had sent into ministry, both behind the pulpit and also as missionaries. And the culture of the church is what fascinated me is that it was so ingrained in them that they're looking and continually looking for members and people in the community, young people and people that are over 21, uh, to consider going into ministry. And it's just part of the culture of that church. And it's an expectation while as, as uh, they're not as large as they used to be, they're still offering to help people with education that they think have the gifts and skills for ministry. And it's very inspiring uh, to see that. And uh, you mentioned an important part. They actually have the photos up there for inspiration. And the first photo um, is from a member that, that went into ministry in the early 1920s and became... Uh, at that time, the youngest uh, bishop in the Methodist Episcopal Church at that time. And so it's fascinating, uh, the culture that was started in there and has been sustained for all these years. It, it, what struck me with the book is, is I've never been to Madison. Uh, I grew up in Kansas and I've never been there. But what was interesting to me is it's a small church that's had such a big impact. When you think about a, a pastor coming out of a church and how many people a pastor impacts on a weekly basis, 
and then extrapolate that over the terms of a pastoral career. It's pretty amazing uh, what one little church has had an impact in throughout the state of Kansas and beyond. Yeah, it looks it, it is impressive, and you have ministers that that ended up on both coasts. Uh, people whose lives have been touched. I was really blessed that the last picture on the wall happened to be Larry Fry, who was an associate pastor at Countryside uh, as he was starting, as he was just entering ministry. And uh, so I knew Larry well, and then I found out he just retired, and he gave me some of the insights as how the the opportunities that he was given to to uh, participate in, in programs, even when he held up the sign wrong in the Christmas program and all the silly things that happen that kids do that are just adorable that we see and enjoy. But he talked about the church was willing to give opportunity for young people to serve and then other, other ministers uh, in the area gave him opportunities to, to uh, work as a youth pastor and other things as he was uh, 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 in uh, college and actually high school. So he had some opportunities that really helped his personal growth. And I think that's an important aspect of any church that's got a culture to call people into discipleship. I want to talk to you a little bit about one of the, one of the great terms that I saw in your book. <laughs> uh, you referenced the word puster. And, and the meaning you explain later is really you're talking lay disciple. I guess let's just start with that. What is a puster slash lay disciple? What does that mean when somebody hears that? Well, place? I had so much pushback from uh, editors of the book and some some district superintendents. Uh, well, that's doesn't sound right. Uh, but it is a beautiful combination of people who are going into the world and actually living out their faith uh, where you're not stuck in the pew, just going to church and being a half-hearted participant in your your. Uh, spiritual journey, I've and I think that's phrase, really important. I've heard the phrase pew potato. Pew potato, there you go. <laughs> so I got a little carried away with my pew pet peeves in the book. I'll admit that, that, that there's a number of things, and I ran into one of my favorite pew pet peeves at church two weeks ago. I was sitting in somebody else's seat, uh, and so <laughs> that's one of my... And you live to tell the tale. I live to tell the tale, and my, my other favorite is... Uh, is having a monthly pew exchange where you go to the other side of the church and, you know, or new pews, new, at least once a year, maybe, uh, you know, everyone has to sit in a different place in the church. And uh, the first time I tried it, I moved over to the other side of the church and everyone started started picking on me saying, what did we do wrong? You know, and, uh, you know, and, and the abuse continued. So I, I did not go back. Uh, my feelings were desperately hurt, as you can imagine. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, when you talk about that personal spiritual growth, you made mention specifically of studying Scripture, uh, a commitment to making other disciples, this concept yeah. of not being satisfied with your own salvation. It's important to go out and, and also help others understand that they can have a relationship with Christ. And you talked about going beyond the walls to serve other people because you can't make disciples sitting inside the inside the church. Exactly. I think that's absolutely uh, vital. And it's something as lay people... Uh, sometimes we don't have the confidence, you know, uh, I'm not strong enough, I don't have the background to do that. But going out and touching somebody else's life, uh, uh, whether it's in your neighborhood, down the street, uh, I don't care whether it's a shut-in uh, or, or, or uh, going on a mission trip uh, overseas, it's all just as important. It's just part of, uh, of being an effective uh, uh, advocate uh, and being a disciple reaching out to people in those ways, I think is absolutely vital. 
And the more you volunteer and the more you do, the more you get out of it and it, and it accelerates your personal growth. But if you just sit there, <laughs> mm-hmm. whether it's a pew potato, you know, and don't become a puster, you're not going to get to where you need to be. <laughs> so I, I think it's really, really important. But you see amazing personal growth with people. But getting people to volunteer and finding a small enough job that they're comfortable with just to get them started. Well, will you come to the mission and, and help us once a month? you know, uh, uh, feed folks or mm-hmm. sort clothing in a clothing bank. Just the little things to get someone started on the road to effective outreach and ministry, I think is really important. In the book, you talk about three aspects of the Madison effect. And so I just want to take a little time to go over those. Sure. Uh, so the first one, uh, you emphasize the need to create a culture of call. Uh, and you're careful to emphasize that this requires a partnership between clergy and laity. So let's look at it from both of those sets of people. Uh, how can a pastor help create a culture of call? Culture of call probably can exist if it's not a, a, an approach where, where, where the congregation and the pastor are, are, are teaming together. Uh, and Larry Fry in the book, uh, when he came out of Madison, he talked about how supportive the pastor was at that time. If someone needed something, uh, maybe couldn't afford to go on a youth outing or something, or needed someone to take them to a camp or whatever, he made sure that happened even if he had to do it himself. And he talked about how, how being encouraging is important. And uh, it was just amazing to hear the stories and how other people reached out and, and touched others. And I've interviewed probably 100 people for the ministry, you know, on the board of our probably more than that, actually. But it's amazing how someone someone reached out and touched them, and it may have been laity or it may have been clergy, but if there's an expectation within the church, because we have a majority of people who are unchurched uh, at this point. I mean, every other person you talk to mm-hmm. uh, may not have a, or doesn't have a church home in most cases. So there's plenty of opportunities, but we need to equip ourselves to be comfortable doing that. The other side, of the flip side of your question, is the fact that yeah, I think it's really important that 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 our congregations know how to welcome clergy, how they treat them, how they uh, welcome them in, into in, into the community. But but you may be sitting next Sunday to a young family that needs some help. You may be sitting next to somebody who. They have potential. You know, you've met them, you know them casually, whatever. They're the kind of people that need to be given an opportunity to grow and see what their spiritual gifts are. But if you're actively, as a church, have an expectation that we're going to send people into ministry, that makes all the difference in the world. And it has to be a joint decision with the clergy and also the congregation working together. Because it's kind of a group goal, it getting has people to going the same direction. Yeah. Uh, at some point in the United Methodist Church, we came up with this idea that, oh, we pay a clergy person. It's their job to be the one to go out and make disciples. Uh, and that's not exactly what Jesus taught, is it? Uh, it it, it is, is not exactly uh, getting there. We're, I, guess, I guess I'm frustrated uh, when I see unrealistic expectations within the congregation and having served on every possible committee and some that I've never heard of before over the years <laughs> don't exist anymore, thank goodness. Uh, it is just incredible to to see the unrealistic expectations where some churches there's an expectation the pastor's going to unlock the church, uh, clean up after the service. 
uh, it's just just absolutely incredible. And having realistic expectations allows our clergy to to fulfill and reach their potential. Uh, churches that are used to taking uh, new graduate pastors, uh, there are some churches that just have a wonderful culture of that. I, I don't think you can have a higher calling, maybe as a congregation, than to help somebody grow uh, as a new pastor and to encourage them. And you're going to see that they're not perfect. And if you look in a mirror, you're probably, you might realize you're not perfect either. <laughs> but we tend, to, we, we tend to be very impatient. Uh, then you deal with other issues where, well, the pastor didn't come to visit me. Well, they're finally on their first vacation of one week in a year and a half. Right. And you weren't there for my father, my mother, or my wife. Or there's their clair the clairvoyant expectation of, oh, I didn't call anybody to let them know I was in the hospital, but why didn't you come visit me anyway? Yes, yes. Oh, um, that is that is uh, so true. And, and, the, and people get mad about that. And how are we supposed to know? I mean, we do have visitors, at least marchers, you know, that go and check the, uh, the roles, you know, but they're generally assigned to see so many people that, that have let us know they're there. We want to get to the people that, that really have a need, that, that have expressed mm -hmm. it. And you, you can't uh, take care of everyone, but it's just one thing after another that the expectations are so unfair. I don't, I, I am, I shouldn't say this, but I'm not sure that Jesus Christ would, would do well in a Methodist church either. You know, you know <laughs> I mean, that's the, how, how, how unfair some of our expectations mm -hmm. are. Makes sense. Uh, so the, the second aspect of the Madison effect is to nourish and care for those in the pastoral ministry. You kind of touched on that, but what does that look like as far as how, how should that be done well? There's a lot of ways uh, to do it well, uh, and I think it starts with how you welcome new pastors in. That transition, you're helping them get acquainted with people. You're, you're helping. We've had uh, some district superintendents that if they had a parsonage, you know, the refrigerator was stocked with things that, that they filled out a survey they wanted to do. Uh, they're made. They're made to feel as welcome as quickly as possible, without, but while giving them time to breathe as they move in, because transitions are difficult for the congregation. Congregations don't realize how difficult it is for the pastor. Um, we had a situation at our church where uh, we had a pastor uh, uh, move a few years uh, uh, from Derby in, up here to Topeka. And his wife was up for a, a major uh, Teacher of the Year award. And one of the things was you didn't know if you were going to get it, but you had to commit to staying in the school district that you were in for at least a year. And in that transition, we made a real effort. Uh, we went down to her school, and the, and the congregation gave her gifts and all sorts of things, we, you know, Valentine's Day, her birthday, any kinds of things, you know. And some of it we hand-delivered down to Derby, you know, as people were going down there. Uh, we delivered stuff to her school, and and they would call her up and embarrass her at the in in, in the office. And, but you need to, to I reach out. I know this person, and I and I got to say, I would love to have seen that. Oh, it was fun. <laughs> I, I got to do it a couple of times with my wife, and uh, 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 she was a little surprised, you know, taken back uh, and embarrassed, which was great. <laughs> but I do think it helped to transition when you're separated, and we have uh, clergy or their spouses are maybe if they're both clergy are preaching in churches that are, that are uh, you know, maybe 100 miles apart, for example. And mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of those, but, you know, making it possible for them to have time together, being sure that you're setting time aside. My big thing in terms of nourishing our clergy is being sure that they uh, uh, have their 
opportunities for continuing education, that the church actively supports that, I think it's vitally important that we go out and, and really do a, uh, a, a, a comprehensive job to be sure that they take their time off. We forget about mm -hmm. their self-care. And churches have to make that a priority. Staff parish committees have to make that something. Did you take all of your vacation last year? Well, we've got one more meeting. Well, someone else is going to handle that for you, Pastor, because you need, need time with your family. Uh, and we also need to empower our clergy to say no. Uh, where uh, I've had the, the opportunity or the misfortune, depending on your viewpoint, to be on staff parish committees and personnel <laughs> committees uh -huh. where the pastor needs to be empowered to say no. And there has to be support from the, the leadership mm -hmm. within the church saying they needed that time away. And um, so I think that's really important that we do it, but I think it's important that we give them gifts and opportunities. I don't think we have to force them to, to go to dinner every week, but I would give them a, a, a right. gift certificate to go eat somewhere so they could have some family time and not have to worry about cooking after church and everything. And I think that's an important thing that we used to do mm -hmm. regularly in church and right. it's kind of been lost in well, recent times. From the standpoint of somebody who's a clergy spouse, um, there's the idea that I don't think anybody really thinks the pastor only works one hour a week. But, <laughs> but, but, but sometimes sometimes the demands from folks seem to think that th that is kind of what the exactly. mentality is. That's right. And I don't think they mean it that way, but without being purposeful of what you were just talking about, being purposeful about making sure that the pastor practices the self-care uh, That's really important. Um, and, and it can happen. And, and, and the awkward part is we have to hold the pastor accountable, you know, be sure that, yes. that here's what we agreed we would do and, you know, it needs to be done. And if you don't have time to do it, how can we help you to do it? In other mm -hmm. words, the congregation has to be there. They shouldn't be sitting uh, in the pews or chairs or wherever with their arms, legs, arms and legs crossed saying, well, pastor, impress me. Uh, I, I've laughed. I, uh, I've encountered since I wrote the book two or three more stories where people have actually, actually uh get critique letters on their sermons, you know, and some of them are not particularly kind. Some of them are well, well-intentioned. And they said the worst ones always seem to come from college English professors sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they said, well, how do you respond to this person? And he says, oh, uh, oh, a young associate was very upset. And then a church in Kansas City I was talking to about getting one of these letters. And he said, well, what did you, what do you do with these? And he said, well, you just file them over here. You know, <laughs> you know, so, right, right. You know it's hard to know. I, I, understand. I was a newspaper editor for 20 years. Trust me, I understand when the English letters <laughs> come into the office. Um, the, the third aspect of, of the Madison effect is this concept of engagement of ministry volunteers and pewsters. Can you share what that engagement might look like? Sure. Um, I spent uh, uh, over, over 40 years in association management uh, recruiting volunteers, so I have some strong feelings about the best way uh, what may work uh, for a nonprofit association. I worked for the optometrists for many years and, and other groups, but that was the main one. And you've got busy people just the same as a congregation. They're seeing patients, they're, they've got meetings at night, they're involved in their church too, you know, everything else. So it was, it's really important to plant the seed. Um, um, they're not gonna say no once and, and I walk away, you know, and I'm on nominations committee uh, again this year. So um, 
you know, I see gifts, but I really intentionally ask, we need the gifts that you have. Where would you like to serve? So in other words, of just making it a life sentence, you're going to be the chair of this com worship committee or, or, or staff parish or trustees as a lifetime event. Well, obviously, it's supposed to be rotated on those committees every three years. But the point is, is that there's an expectation of someone wants to step away volunteers need a break too. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to burn them out. And that's one of the, the, the things that I think churches often forget about. You know, we get to busy arguing over the color of the wallpaper. <laughs> we get, where's uh, the coffee going to be? Where's the coffee? Yeah, Bishop Jones and the, uh, the, his first church arguing over where to plug in the coffee pot. Yeah, major theological issues of that nature. <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting, but there are just so many aspects of how you do it. But the ask is where you start. And I had people that have told me no for over 10 years over serving in, in certain things before they said yes, the time is right. But the point was we kept asking. And in smaller churches, uh, it is more of a challenge when you have a smaller uh, a pool of people, but rotating those responsibilities, well, can you help us once a month? You have to make accommodations like that. And too many people are so rigid. Well, someone just did it forever, you know, and or they like to do it. Well, they might like to do something else too, you know, and have a break. So I think it's important to look at all the pieces. You also mentioned the, the importance of celebrating the people who are doing that volunteer work, uh, making sure that they know that they're appreciated and recognizing them in a public way so that people understand mm -hmm. the work that goes into that volunteer effort. I think it's essential that, that you recognize them in as many ways as possible. Uh, with notes and transitions each year on volunteers. I think it's important when someone steps down or even rotates off uh, a committee where they're limited by three years, like staff parish or trustees, for example. Uh, I think it's important that, that they're acknowledged internally with the committee, but they need to get a note and be recognized by the congregation. The pastor needs to send a note as well. So they're more likely to be willing to serve again if another opportunity comes up. Uh, down the road. And I think mentioning people and thanking them and, uh, you know, I would, uh, in my four years, I would go overboard thanking people. Hey, thanks for holding the door. Yeah, you know, not quite that extreme, but, but that has to be your mindset, would be, a, uh, would be a mindset of gratitude for what these people are able to do. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Uh, just a reminder, we're talking with Gary Robbins, author of The Madison Effect. He's a resident here in Topeka, Kansas. Gary, I want to shift gears a, a little bit here. There was one quote that I wrote down. I, I loved it so much in the book. Uh, it said, laity are the vital link to make ministry happen. Growing congregations go where people are to serve their needs and minister to them. Uh, how did you come to that realization, and, and what does that look like in a, in a congregation, in your opinion? It is amazing. There is no limit to the possibilities of how this plays out after interviewing, you know, at least hundreds of people and talking to people uh, at, at whether it's annual conference or other times, it's pretty obvious to me this can be done in many ways, but you got to take that first step. Um, uh, my first opportunity was we wanted to start at our church, golly, back in the 70s, a uh, outreach, so uh, a night out for families of, uh, of parents of, of uh, children that had a disability. And so we started that. There was a need at that time. 
and uh, it worked well. I couldn't find people to do it initially. Well, we, the church wasn't handicapped accessible. I couldn't raise enough money for the elevator. I was very frustrated, but we opened up the church across. The, we had a member of the church who was a principal of a school across the street, and I was able to go talk to him, and uh, he uh, opened, up the uh, opened up the school for us one night a week, and we had the space <laughs> that we didn't have. Later, we moved it into the church. Um, and so that was a beautiful thing, seeing how uh, the principal of the school became more involved singing in the choir and everything. You, you know, you just, it, it, it's kind of, laity has to be out there doing it. And you see all these examples every day, uh, but you have to take that first step to do that. Well, and I know our bishop had to be super happy when he read the book because he saw right after that passage, you talk about neighboring movement. Oh yeah. And you talk about the fresh expressions. Uh, neighboring movement is something we just spent two days uh, talking about with all of our clergy sure. at our annual orders and fellowship gathering. Uh, you can find information about that on our website at greatplainsumc.org. We've got all the videos from the sessions there so you can learn more about this yourself. Uh, definite shout out to uh, Reverend Adam Barlow Thompson who gave a great opening worship sermon on the neighboring movement uh, that he does with Soci Life down in Wichita. Mm -hmm. So between the neighboring movement and then fresh expressions, which is all about getting outside the church, the church building, that seems to me that that's that's got to be driven by the laity. Has uh, to be. The, 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 clerk, the pastor cannot do all of this stuff. The, the laity have to be heavily involved. Um, from your experience, what what that's a culture of call thing, right? It, it's it's about, definitely. It, it, it's not just pastoral ministry. It's yes. also just it's lay ministry as well. Are we meeting needs and feeding each other? And how do we get to that place? Well, the neighboring movement and fresh expressions both accomplish that. You know, the limit you have is um, um, was active in uh, Friends of St. Paul, you know, and hosted uh, hosted a, a session in Kansas City last year. And, uh, you know, part of it is finding a location right. uh, that can sustain a fairly good-sized group and do it. And so a lot of times it's going to be, come down to laity opening their homes and other opportunities. Um, and we've had... Uh, a number of people that pastors don't even know it's going on, and I'm not sure, I'm not passing judgment one way or the other because I'm in one of the groups. Uh, so I wasn't asked till a few years ago. Had movie groups where people would go watch movies, and then they go ahead and answer, you know, where was, who was the Jesus figure, where was, uh -huh. and so you're going through kind of a discussion group. After it is that. a discussion group, or a, I don't care whether it's a discussion group or a book group, and we've got some of those, of course. Mm -hmm. But I think those are really important. Uh, the Bible study and uh, is obviously uh, foundational because uh, small group uh, formation. It was kind of like um, oh, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I got appointed to a committee and ended up chairing it after one year. Uh, we finally got rid of it, and it included uh, spiritual formation, uh, discipleship. I don't remember saving humanity. I, I mean, it's a long, <laughs> long title uh, of things kind, kind, kind of an impossible thing to accomplish right? uh, yeah uh, I was still trying to figure out uh, all three aspects of it by the time before we were done and then we went to the transition to the Great Plains and so they weren't going to start any new programs so I was saved by the bell in that sense but <laughs> you really do have to reach out and look at opportunities and um, spending time together but we're going to be more creative with young families and uh, in terms of making opportunities for those children with all the activities going on on weekend and nights, I don't care whether it's dance, I don't care whether it's athletics, mm -hmm. um, there are just so many things today 
that we have to be creative. And as I said in the book, I believe 100% attendance by a young family might be once or twice a month if they can even get to church. And I'm trying to get to activities for grandkids now, and I'm really experiencing this because I was lucky when I grew up, Wednesday night was church night, and there was no stores open that, under the, 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 the blue way, laws. That's and, the way I grew up as well. I, I, had two, and, I have a daughter who played college basketball and a son who's a college baseball player right now at Nebraska Wesleyan. But they grew up in their formative years. We were in southwest Utah where my okay. wife was serving a, a church start. And with mm-hmm. the Mormon culture, Sunday was a no-go. Nothing else happened on Sunday, so we didn't have to worry about that. Uh, we were very lucky. When we moved to the Midwest, it was a little bit of a shock for me, even though I think I knew it. Uh, but to see it, that we had kids that just weren't able to be there on Sunday morning because their activities were scheduled for Sunday morning. And if they didn't take part in those, then they didn't get a chance to take part in, right. in their sport. So Sunday morning may not be the time anymore. It may, be, I think it may be an evening sometime. It might even be, we're, we're seeing some churches in the Great Plains that are having success with Friday and Saturday evening worship services, believe it or not. So, And I, I think that is listening mm-hmm. to, to what works for people and being flexible. And a lot of times you're going to do it the way we've always done it. And God forbid that, uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to go against scripture. Yeah. Uh, but the bottom line is we have to be creative and try different things. And uh, it's a challenge and people don't like it, but fresh expressions doesn't work and neighboring doesn't work if, if we don't listen to people and go out and, and, and mm-hmm. uh, find, find new things uh, to right. work. I want to talk about one last thing uh, from the book. You keep coming back. uh, It's kind of interwoven through the book about this concept of being invitational. And you approach it from a couple of different angles. But it seems like we don't do that very well uh, anymore in the United Methodist Church. How do we change that mentality of being an inviting people? Uh, I think it's something that we have to work on as a congregation. And to me, everyone's got a different approach and different ideas. We have people that are unsure of themselves and don't know how to ask and invite. Well, I invited them once, I thinking of different people, and they said no, so I'm done. No, you just need to offer opportunities. And I see a number of ways to do that. Oh, we have a concert coming up at our church or a choir concert or a ice cream social, whatever the event is. Say we've got some stuff coming up. I'd be glad to take you if you have time and you know whatever the date and time is. That is requires you to be invitational. The awkward part that I finally, as a as an association executive, had to learn is that I finally personally trained, um, and I do legislative advocacy as well, is, is that I train people how to be invitational, how to make the ask. I almost have to write a script out for them for different things and tell them, here here's the way you can approach it. If they say no, that's fine, but you need. Here's the seeds you're planting, so you need to follow up here, here, and here. So that is the way I approach it. Everyone does it differently, mm-hmm. but that we have to be trained, and we are terrible at it. I totally agree. And part of it's not having enough confidence. I'm a Methodist, but I don't know what I believe. I think I know I'm a Methodist, but I don't know why. Right. Okay. You know that that's another whole book and another whole S- something. I've always, something I've always told people in that in that vein is that. Okay, maybe you don't know the scriptures like the back of your hand, like you wish you would. You can obviously work on that, but you can't mess up your own story. Yeah. So just tell your story. How has Jesus impacted your life? How has being part of the church fulfilled your life? And and, and uh, let that be the story that you tell instead of worrying about details from 2,000 years ago. As important as those are, and that's what we build our faith on, 
you're not going to mess up the story that you've built in whatever time you've been alive. I encourage people to have their ele elevator speech. In other words, something you could relay to somebody in a few minutes, you know, whether it's a coffee break at work, uh, whether it's just a chance meeting at a grocery store, uh, out for a walk in the neighborhood talking to someone, that's part of neighboring. But you need to be able to, to uh, at least verbalize, uh, this, you know, uh, this church has, has, has uh, changed my life, and here's why. And uh, I get a sense of commitment. Uh, my week doesn't start till after I've gone to church on Sunday. You know, mm -hmm. those are the sorts of things that would go into a quality elevator speech, in my point. Well, this has been Gary Robbins. He's the author of The Madison Effect, An Inspiring Culture of Call. It's available on Covenant Books. Uh, you can purchase it from Amazon.com or from Goodreads.com, among some other retailers. Uh, Gary wants to hear your stories. If you have stories of, of uh, churches that are doing amazing things with this culture of call, uh, he's asking you to email him at the Madison Effect book. That's with an E, so T-H-E-M-A-D-I-S-O-N-E-F-F-E-C-T book at gmail.com. I want to hear those stories, too, so we can talk to those churches for this podcast. Uh, my email address is tcyphert at greatplainsumc.org. Gary, thank you so much for thank taking you. the time with Enjoyed us. I really it. greatly appreciate it. Thank you for the book. We look forward to the next one. You're going to write about that bishop that you were telling us That's about. That's right. So, Halfway through. All right. Thank you very much. I think the concept of culture of call is incredibly important. Every person, all of you, and me, has a call to ministry in some way, shape, or form. I think this is a key to growth of a local church. A culture of call brings energy, and it helps people keep an open mind to watch for the Holy Spirit at work. I really enjoyed my conversation with Gary Robbins, so much so that I allowed us to go a little bit over time. So I think what we're going to do is just call this part one of a two-part discussion about culture of call. So join me next time when I talk with the Reverend Ashley Alley Crawford, the Coordinator of Clergy Recruitment and Development for the Great Plains Conference. Ashley and I talked recently when she was in Topeka about the resources she and the conference have provided to help local churches foster a culture of call. So you won't want to miss it. Please join me next week for the second part of this discussion about culture of call. Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with FirstCom Music. You can find archived podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tcypher at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.